Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Switch Statement Podcast. It's a podcast for investigations into miscellaneous tech topics. This is Episode 7 in our series on the design of everyday things by Don Norman. Hey, Don, what's going on? Hey, Matt, nothing much. What's going on with you? Not too much. Been playing, playing a bunch of video games recently. I, I, I'm no, no YouTube. 2023 it doesn't oh brilliant oh man i watch way too much youtube i watch the stupidest stuff too like i'll just watch some guy playing chess (laughs) well you know that's that's probably enlightening the the reality of youtube that i've found is i can spend an infinite amount of time doing it there is always another video that i can watch on youtube yes no it is it it feels like a addiction and uh, oh it's an addiction yeah, it feels very unhealthy. I I mean, I think it's awesome that you're playing video games. I've actually been playing a couple games. Uh, what games are you playing? Uh, my main game right now is Bioshock Infinite. Oh, I remember that game. That game was huge. Huge in popularity, cultural Yeah, yeah huge in mindset. sort of popularity and cultural significance. I feel like when it came out, everyone was hailing it as like, I don't know, just this completely like innovative, immersive experience, all that stuff. Yeah, it is one of the most rated games on how long does it take dot com or whatever, how long to play. Um, which yeah. it is funny. It's like I don't know. You you pick up a game and and you don't realize like oh wait actually this is kind of one of the one of the biggest games of all times essentially. Yeah, I mean like in recent in recent history. Um, it's interesting like i'm curious what like i want to talk to you about it once you've finished it because i remember having certain opinions about it (laughs) uh you know i i thought it was a good game like i feel like my opinions were positive but not as positive as like the rest of the world was making it out to be that yeah it is interesting i think i'm i think i'm leaning in that direction um but maybe i can uh, i can do a review uh I don't know, uh, uh, art of game design, uh, redux, and analysis. Yeah. That's what uh, we'll but, do. We'll switch to game reviews. Um, but this is not a podcast about game reviews. It's a podcast where we read books. It's about sound. And it's about sound. Yeah, actually, this is one thing. You know, whenever you interact with the UI in Bioshock Infinite, there's a satisfying, like, chunk. There's some sound that sounds like it could have occurred in the early 1900s uh yes. so uh and this is what this chapter is about so the the chapter is called this is part two of knowing what to do constraints discoverability and feedback but he actually has kind of a large section all about using sound as signifiers mm-hmm. um it's not entirely clear to me how that ties to the rest of the chapter but that's okay. I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, what did you What did you think of this uh, this chat this section? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that we started with discussing video games because the minute I saw the title using sound as signifiers, I started thinking about video games yep. and and more generally software uh, because I I think a lot of times in software like we don't think about sound very much. Yes. And it's so incredibly useful for just feedback 
you know, even signifying in certain conditions, you know, certainly signifying that some action took place or signifying that some new action is available or, um, you know, it also works so well in tandem with some visual uh, signifier where you do a visual thing and a sound thing at the same time. Yes. Um, and I think, yeah, I just, I just think like, you know, having sound in the back of your mind while you're developing some piece of software is, is always a really good idea. Not to mention that it's an accessibility. There's an accessibility aspect to this. You yes. know, you talk about having a, having sound based feedback in addition to visual feedback. Well, it's like sometimes that's the only kind of feedback some of our users have. So making sure that you have things like ARIA tags and you think about what the process of using your app is like when you're just using a screen reader. Yeah. This is something, you know, I had a little toy app in, uh, in Google, not a toy app, but it's an internal tool in Google. And I wanted to, I, I don't, I don't know why I needed to do this because it was never going to be exposed to external customers, but I did an accessibility revision review. And, and so, but like it, it felt unnecessary at the time, but it was really cool because they were like, this is how you can do, they had tools where you could say, this is how, what your app is like. You, yeah. you know, you stop looking at your screen, you just use a screen reader. Can the person figure out what to do? Uh, yeah. So. And it's interesting because those learning about those things, like that's actually a lot of what I did at Instagram. Like I probably spent a third of my time at Instagram working on accessibility stuff for Android just because Instagram accessibility was terrible when I joined the <laughs> company. Um, and you know, that's partially because it's, it's a photo app. So there's just not a lot of like blind users. Right. Uh, but anyway, I, I felt like learning about those accessibility tools and like the accessibility APIs and just generally how to design a front end that's, that has strong accessibility just improves your ability to design in general because <laughs> it, it just adds yeah. more like I think with design like with so many things it's so useful to have like 45 things in the back of your mind like while you're designing basically mm -hmm. like you know you think of the usability the ergonomics like the visuals the sounds the accessibility like you kind of need all of these running processes like while you're going through the act of designing and uh, yeah, accessibility just adds a couple more. And I think it makes makes you a better designer when you know about that stuff. I think it taps into this visceral level where you're doing something. Most things that you're doing in the real world have some sound associated with them. Yeah. You know, you're, you're chopping down a tree, right? You're going to get the visual that you hit the the tree, but you're also going to get the sound. Like, did I, did I, or you're, you're playing baseball. Like you're going to be able to tell from the sound that the ball makes, did I make a good connection yeah. to that? Or was that kind of a whiff? Uh, and I think, I think it's important. I think that's part of why. And he, he kind of, he gets to this point where it's like an action should have multiple channels of feedback that something happened. Like yeah. something was correctly executed. And sound is, is an important part of that. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the word visceral. And I think that when you're discussing sound, like that's such an accurate word because sound is, is one of the few things that just kind of cuts through everything and kind of gets yes. right down into the human soul. <laughs> I mean, like 
there's an obvious case of music in film, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, music, like we all know great you know, composers for films like John Williams. And the minute we hear his themes, it's just instantaneously evocative of like all of these emotions and, you know, those types of things improve the the end product by such a huge degree that it's like almost impossible to overstate. Um, and yeah, I think there's a similar effect, you know, even when you're talking about pushing a button and having like a click sound, you know, that click sound is such a strong piece of communication because it kind of it kind of cuts down to like something very deep inside the human psyche. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a hugely powerful way of communicating something. Not to mention just the practical reality that you can hear something from behind you, right? <laughs> like, and I guess in our in our field, it's this is less generally relevant, but but I guess it's useful when your UI is obscured, you you or you make a notification sound, right? Yeah. Those are all important things where, oh, we we want to grab someone's attention in a context where we don't have their visual, we don't have control over the visual field. Right, yeah. And I think that's partially where, he mentions all these other rules of design kind of ergonomics, like all the constraints and, and mapping and stuff. And I think there's, a set of similar rules, maybe the exact same rules for sound itself, where just as an example is like, if you have consistency in your sound, uh, like let's say you have long running processes and when they finish, they always play that same sound. I think that can help a lot because users know like, oh, when I hear that sound, that means this like long running calculation is finished. I can go back to whatever, like my spreadsheet or whatever and, and finish that work. Uh, so it's so sounds kind of have their own language and vocabulary. Um, I mean, getting back to what you were saying before, sounds being so visceral, I think it's really important to be intentional about them because even a sound that sounds really cool the first time can just sound super annoying the tenth time, right? So if yeah. we're talking, thinking about your example of some spreadsheet process completing if that's going to happen on a regular basis you know you need to make sure that it's not because i think it can be easy to fall into the trap of oh i want to design the coolest sound possible yes but it's like no you actually really want to be pretty constrained just think about the microsoft air sound it's just like this or the classic like it's just one big thunk it's like "Mm." like there's just like one and and i think that's the right way to go where it's hard for that to get too annoying because there's actually not that much to it. Yeah. But if it's if it's some little like strain or, or like um, kind of modulated voice that says "heads up," like you know, <laughs> whenever then error happens, like yeah. that's probably gonna uh, gonna get a little uh, uh, annoying after a while. Yeah. I, this is a fascinating topic. I feel like we might have discussed this with the last book. But it's kind of this collision of, you know, cinematicness or like kind of ideal sound effects with the kind of practicalities of, you know, your application. And it's so common in video games. Like I think a a common example that's cited is animation durations where, Hmm. you know, you're opening a door in a video game and, you know, maybe it's a horror game. So like opening the door, you know, Hmm. taking a long time and playing some creaking noise 
might be more kind of cinematic and you know more interesting from the standpoint of like your game being like a movie but if that happens like multiple times in the game it very quickly gets annoying and it's like okay just open the door do it in 20 milliseconds like play some quick creak noise and let me move on with my life and yeah it's it's there's definitely a lot of cases in software where that happens where you kind of have to wrestle with the concrete practicalities of a situation and make some compromises with your beautiful sound effects or animations. And to make a game which physically simulates the friction of the hinges and it generates <laughs> the sound depending on how quickly you open the door. That's like going to be a, more, a core, core mechanic to the game. You Did need you to like play? generate the least sound. You need to open the door at the precise speed so that it minimizes the sound generated. What were you going to say? Did you ever play Red Dead Redemption? I did not. So, you know, Red Dead Redemption, probably a lot of listeners have heard of this game. Super popular game. You're like a cowboy. It's a cool game. Uh, you know, I want to give props to the game because it's beautiful and it's just incredibly, the scope of the game is is just completely mind-boggling. But at the same time, the game has all of these situations where, like, you press a button. Like, like getting on your horse, for example. You press the button to get on your horse, and your character kind of, like, you know, slowly saunters over to the horse and lifts his leg over the saddle and kind of, like, gets on. And, and the, the operation takes, like, five seconds. Really? And, yes. And to me, like, I think to a lot of players, they just get used to it. It's, like, not a big deal. But to me, it was just infuriating uh, and, and the game has so many things like that, like pulling out your gun has this like, you know, animation. It's, you know, the game takes a very strong stance on like being as real as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that that hurts it in a lot of ways. Um, but I should say I'm on one far end of the spectrum in terms of like, I dislike a lot of modern game design things. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And it gets back to, I think, some of the tension from, you know, I know we're not reading Art of Game Design right now, but some of the tension he talks about between the reality, like being realistic and open world and delivering something that is enjoyable to play. Uh, yeah. And I think that those are, those are uh, intention. Um, yeah, so to get back to the book, there he ends this section with a you know, subsection he calls when silence kills uh, and a very dramatic click, click baby title. But yeah, uh, this whole section is all about how cars or electric cars in particular make much less noise than their internal combustion engine counterparts <laughs> and how this is actually a really serious concern for hard of hearing, uh, you know, people who are hard of hearing. Uh, because they, they they were using the sound of the of the car to determine when it was safe to cross. Right. You mean and, blind people, right? Or people? Sorry, like, sorry. Yeah. Vision uh, impaired. Yeah, people. Yeah, vision impaired people. Um, yeah, um, that's that's true. Uh, and it's a little sad because it feels like the kind of, it, or right. I feel like it's a little sad. Obviously, we're not gonna take my desire to have cars be silent over <laughs> these uh, vision impaired people's ability to cross roads. Right. But, yeah. uh, but it does feel like 
oh, okay, we were relying on an implementation detail for this really important thing before. And so now, well, now that that implementation detail changed, we got to go put it back. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do think it's a hilarious case of like, you know, electric cars have improved technology, but you're, you still have to add in this component of like a worse technology just because we've come to rely on it. And it's, right. I don't know, it's kind of hilarious. And Although you can play jazz with it. Like, you know, Tesla's, when they literally. back up, they play like a flying saucer sound effect. Really? So I, I guess you can sort of play around with it. Yeah, well, they do that weird, like, uh, I don't even know how to describe the sound. It's like, wah, 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 you know? Yeah. That was a terrible do they make that? Do they make that sound going forward? No, I don't think so. They I make some they... sound uh, going forward, right? Or no? Uh, they sort of play, like, inside of the car, I think they sort of play, like, a very quiet, like, jet propulsion sound effect, which I think is not part of, you know, part of the actual mechanisms. Like, it feels like a sound effect that they're just playing. But, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they play, like, a sound outside the car. I even own a Tesla, and I don't know. Yeah, I guess that you would need to be around and outside the Tesla to, to know. But at least from the way he calls it in the book it sounded like this was going to be a requirement for electric cars especially at lower speeds yeah but um but i don't know i don't know if tesla is making but it, is, it does just feel like a feel like a shame that we do need to uh yeah we need to add this add this back but i guess that's it's kind of like did you hear about the story about them replacing incandescent uh, stoplights with LED stoplights and then they were great until it snowed and then previously the incandescent lights were hot and would melt the snow oh. but the LED lights they didn't emit any heat or enough heat to melt the snow so then they needed to add heaters back to the incandescent light oh sorry into the LED lights oh, I so love that they that. could melt the snow it's uh, like a uh, what is it called Hiram's Law uh, which I think is an API design thing where any given edge case in your API design will become like an important feature for some we'll customer. Eventually be relied upon uh, by one of your, one yeah. of your customers. Yeah, yeah, it feels like that true. type of thing. Um, so, another, another thing to mention with sound, uh, which by the way, I'm about to kind of change the subject. So if you wanted to change away, change away. Okay, yeah, I, I, another thing that this sound section made me think about was just other senses that can be, you know, triggered or... or mm, Smell-o-vision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell me well, you're going to explain a new smell device. Well, I do think that, like, stimulating as many senses as possible in your app is kind of the name of the game these days. Uh, like, haptic feedback is a mm -hmm. huge you know, a huge area of, uh, you know, research or, you know, people use it in their apps all the time. You're clicking a button, it like vibrates slightly. Um, and it's basically every sense you can stimulate adds to the experience a little bit. I don't think we've figured out how to leverage smell just because, you know, smell kind of similar to what's that? I mean, you need to shed off molecules yeah. in order to do it. So it's kind of hard. Yeah, exactly. There's just a lot of practicalities in the implementation details that are hard to tackle. But smell is also 
it's kind of like audio signals in that it can be very annoying very quickly. Yeah. So you would have to, you know, if you were to use smell, you'd have to use it like extremely subtly. Um, but yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up was I worked in VR for a brief period of my career. And one of the things that we played around with were these like haptic vests mm. where, you know, you'd play like a shooting game or something. And if you got shot in like the upper left shoulder, there was like a little thing that would like vibrate in your upper left shoulder. And uh, it was amazing. Like it was just incredible. And I, it was one of those experiences where I was like, I cannot wait for this technology to like, you know, improve the ergonomics, like become a little bit more usable and, uh, and just become more mainstream. Like it's just really So cool would it continue to vibrate as though it was trying to simulate this wound, <laughs> like that you, this pain. open wound? Yeah. I don't remember doing that. It was, it was, so the thing that I played was basically a brief demo that was like a shooting game. Uh, and I only remember just feeling brief vibrations when the bullets were hitting me. And I literally only played it for like 10 minutes. So, um, but even just in that short period, I was like, this is amazing. There are commercial vests that you can buy, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can get a whole kit. You have, you know, commercial vests, like this walking platform, you know, VR has these kind of walking, like infinite treadmill. Yes. Things yes. Where you can, and it, yeah, part of the demo that I was doing was that infinite treadmill thing where I was kind of walking on this thing. Um, and yeah, it was really cool. Like it was kind of hard to use. It felt yeah. very awkward at first, but you know, sort of once you get the hang of it, I can imagine that being really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I think that was all I had about sound. Was there anything else you wanted to uh, talk about in regards to sound design? Yeah, I mean, not really. Like, I, I definitely love this topic just at a broad level, but I think that we've discussed sound before. You know, like one thing I've always loved about sound is just how cinematic you can be with sound. You know, like video games, for example, there's situations where you come into a boss room or something and the sound just like stops. And it, mm -hmm. just the, the absence of sound can be like a cinematic flair. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just think it's a really cool aspect of design, like deciding when to play the, the sweeping epic music versus when to just stop the music versus when to do no music and just have like eerie sound effects. Uh, you can just do a lot of really cool things with sound. It is interesting because I almost feel like some Tibor, I feel like to a certain extent, the sound is almost like a cheat code yes. for an emotional response. Um, I, I did, you know, one time I was doing a presentation about sound and about how it affects your emotional response to things. And I took this very intense segment of some video and I put like yakety sacks over it and and it just completely changes the tone of the yeah. whole thing and you just realize how much of your emotional response to something is impacted by you know it's like the visual is literally exactly the same right and then without the, these like dramatic strings like really in creating this feeling of tension inside of you, it, it becomes this kind of comedic thing because now there's this uh, there's these two elements that are completely at odds with one another. Uh, so I didn't wind up using it because the effect I don't think was quite as powerful as I was hoping for. Because I think it was still creepy, 
even though you act like it's it. I think it actually made it like awkward and uncomfortable because it was just. <laughs> It's like, okay, it looked a little bit like ham-fisted kind of. But. Speaking of awkward and uncomfortable, have you ever seen Friends without a laugh track? Oh, see, like that's a, that is a great example. That is yeah. a fantastic example where it just feels so weird without that it, backing. It, yeah, it feels like a bunch of like creepy serial killers talking to each other. Because they'll just say these like completely insane things and then like stare at each other because they're, you know, they're waiting for the laugh track to end. And yeah. it's just, it, it becomes extremely eerie. I highly recommend people check this out on YouTube. Right, because all of these conversations have to be completely stilted and and broken up. because And they're like, okay, first the first thing is everything sounds way less funny. Yeah, no, it's not funny at all. It it's doesn't sound, like, sound like a joke at all, yeah. And... Then you, yeah, then it just sounds so you're broken up. Um, yeah. But how, how did that work? Were, was there a live studio audience that was laughing or were they playing a laugh track when they were doing the performance? I don't know. I guess there probably was a live audience. So maybe that's why, you know, they were literally waiting for the live audience to stop laughing. Right. But this, the laughter was like so uproarious and and out of concert with the level of comedy that was being perpetrated. <laughs> yeah. Or the lack of comedy that was being perpetrated. I'm, uh, I have very low regard for friends. Like, I just think it's complete garbage. Oh, no. We've lost, we've lost our friends listener. Um, <laughs> well, they can hate listen. Um, all right. We're running, we're running out of steam here. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, let's, let's wrap it up. So, uh, yeah, so that is, that was Knowing What to Do, Constraints, Discoverability, and Feedback. Man, this dude's chapter titles are bonkers. Um, So then the next chapter that we are going to touch on is called Human Error, No Bad Design, which, I don't know, sounds like like we'll be going over some more, more parts of how error works with uh, design. Yeah, he's gonna hate on software engineers more. He just he just should have called this error. Like this book just should have been called Errors. Uh, yeah, <laughs> an old man's uh, tale of grumpy yeah. design, <laughs> curmudgeonly ramblings. Yes. Um, all right. Well, I'll see you next time, Todd. See you next time, man. <laughs>